We're going to um, turn to the Bible now. Um, I've picked quite a lot of readings, so you might just want to read them off the screen. But if you like to flick through your Bibles, you can as well. Tim does. I wonder what you're angry about. You don't have to reply. (laughs) And what you do with that anger? What do you do with it? I encountered an angry person this week. I was just standing innocently on the steps of the church at Food Bank and I encountered an angry person. They drove past and they shouted at me from the car. I didn't get angry, but I did ask them some questions. Apparently, you can tell a lot about a person by what makes them angry. It often reveals their highest priorities and also deepest insecurities. As we look around our world, and if you do bear to watch the news, When you see all the injustice and the suffering, I don't know how that makes you feel and how you respond. Whether there rises in you indignation or despair or prayer or that ancient prayer of the church, come Lord Jesus, come. Tonight, I want us to look at Jesus. Surprise, surprise. Did Jesus ever get angry? Well, we all know, yes, he did. What did Jesus get angry about? We'll look at a few instances. And how can we hold the love of Jesus as well as the anger of Jesus, his compassion and his indignation? So first, let's do some theology, or Christology. Jesus was a man. That's good theology. Jesus is God. That is good theology. We permanently affirm and affirm permanently the humanity of Jesus. Some people do think that Jesus came down from heaven in incarnate form, spent three decades as a human being, and then returned to heaven to revert back to his pre-incarnate state. But we believe that Jesus clothed himself with humanity and will never unclothe himself with humanity. That he became a man and will always be fully God and fully man. That he ascended into heaven with the very body that was raised out of the tomb and he will return as Jesus, fully God and fully man. In Hebrews 2 verse 17, it says, For this reason, Jesus, he 
had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. He was and is fully God. From John 1, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From Colossians 1, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. From Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8, he, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, fully man and fully God. He was not, as some ancient heresies thought, a sort of hybrid blend of human and divine, a unique third kind of being, somewhere in between. Fully man, fully God. And as a fully human being, Jesus experienced the full range of emotions. As you look at the Gospels, you see all the emotions of Jesus. He got tired and frustrated and he also got angry. But we're told in the scriptures that he he did not sin. Our emotions, certainly mine, are often tainted by my fallen nature. Jesus's were not. Now, the biblical accounts of Jesus in the Gospels show predominantly a Savior Messiah that has come to proclaim the Father's love in acts of compassion and healing and eventually the greatest act of love ever revealed, taking the world's sin upon himself when he died on the cross for you and for me. We see compassion nearly on every page of the Gospels. As Jesus is love, we're told that in the Scriptures. When he saw the blind, he had compassion. When he saw the lame, the leper, the outcast, the sinner, the bereaved, the hurting, the lost... The crowds that looked like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion on them. Again and again, he responds and he looks and he has compassion. The heart of Jesus responds in that profound feeling of mercy, grace, and love. Perfect compassion as Jesus is the one perfect human being ever to walk on the face of the earth. But what about his anger? There are sprinkled among the Gospels times when the Lord's anger would be seen and heard. I just want to pick out three tonight, but you may want to do a study on all the others. First one is from Mark 10, verse 14 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. 
He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Jesus was indignant with his disciples. That day Jesus was teaching and preaching And people were bringing little children to him for them to be blessed by Jesus. But the disciples rebuked them. See, the disciples had done their safeguarding training with due diligence. They were safeguarding Jesus' time by barricading him against the aggressive parents, maybe. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was indignant. The Greek word can actually mean bristled. Have you ever seen someone bristle? What was Jesus' problem? Well, he explained it himself. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Anyone who will not enter the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Jesus, in his ministry, pronounced searing denunciations on those who caused children to sin or to cause them to stop coming to him. He said these words, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's not Jesus meek and mild, is it? He is angry at those who would keep his children from him. He is angry at all the evil in our world which cause so much harm and destruction. Abuse of every form. And we know that everyone will have to answer to Jesus. The second example I want to take is the cleansing of the temple, which is probably the most obvious one. If, if you were to say, when did Jesus get angry? Ah, when, when he cleared the temple. Recorded in John's Gospel, John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. And I'd kind of overlooked this, but I overlooked the first few lines of this. He made a whip out of cords. He didn't find a whip that was lying there conveniently. He must have spent a few moments making a whip. He made a whip out of cords and drove All from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. It is a well-known story. It's recorded in all of the Gospels. Jesus enters the temple courts and sees the merchants profiteering of the pious pilgrims. 
The Bible doesn't actually say that Jesus got angry, but it's pretty good assumption given that he fashioned a cord out of a whip out of cords and things and started lashing the vendors and flipping over their tables. Matthew records Jesus quoting scripture as he enters the temple area. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of thieves. And in that single sentence, Jesus quotes two Old Testament prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, from Isaiah 56, verse 7, and from Jeremiah 7, verse 11. And if you look at the context of those passages, they are threats against the temple establishment. The problem wasn't just that they were monetizing the worship of God, although that is never a good thing. I mean, corruption has been part of the human state since the very beginning, hasn't it? Our sinfulness. But the real problem was that the market was set up in the court of the Gentiles. The only space outsiders were allowed to enter. And if they're not able to engage with God in the outer courts, they would have no chance of encountering God. This is what made Jesus indignant. Again, people being kept from him by the religious. In fact, it was actually the money changers that were doing the overturning. Overturning the temple from a place to know and seek God to a place to make money and exploit the poor. Empty religion. Jesus loves too much to remain indifferent. Again and again we see him bristle against the religious Sadducees and the Pharisees because they were keeping people away from God. They were the very ones supposed to be pointing to God, yet they kept them away. Prioritizing the religious ritual over human need. We see that in the healing on the Sabbath when Jesus takes on the religious. You cannot heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, yes, I can. It's my Sabbath. And that anger in Jesus reflects his heart. Yet it's all done without a hint of sin staining that anger. Jesus cares for people more than anything else. And we can therefore see that anyone who comes between Jesus and the people he loves will experience his indignation, his wrath, his anger. The third one I want to talk about is sickness and death. There are two other times in the Gospels that use the form of the word anger to describe Jesus. One of it comes from Mark 1, uh, verse 41. A leper runs up to Jesus begging for a healing. And Jesus was indignant. He wasn't indignant at the leper. He was indignant at the leprosy. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Jesus is indignant at sickness. 
When he comes in glory, there will be no more sickness. And we see glimpses of that, of the coming of the kingdom of God. Glimpses when we see someone miraculously healed. Glimpses of the breaking in of what will be permanent. There'll be no more dementia. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more of any sickness. It will all be gone. Perhaps the clearest example in the Gospels of Jesus angry comes at the death of his friend Lazarus. In John 11, verse 33, says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. In verse 33 and verse 38, the verb is translated deeply moved in our translation. It doesn't really capture what Jesus was feeling. Deeply moved. These are words, Greek words of profound indignation and fury. This is not Jesus in uncontrollable grief at the loss of his friend. This is Jesus angry with death. and the one behind it. The one whose works he had come into the world to destroy. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he gave his all for us, but death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead, physically, walked out of the grave. And death, from that moment, was conquered. The raising of Lazarus is not an isolated marvel or a one-off miracle. It's a decisive moment and an open symbol of Jesus' power and conquest over death itself. I love the song that we often sing, the lion and the lamb. Jesus is both the lion of Judah and the lamb who was slain. He is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, who opens his arms in welcome to all who would turn and believe, to the hungry, the open, the faithful, desiring. He dies to take away that which separates us from God, our sin, and the sting of sin, which is death. He is also the lion of Judah, the one who roars in power 
And to those who will reject his offer of salvation, it will be the most frightening day to see his face. I asked you at the beginning if you were angry and what you were angry at and what did you do with that anger. And perhaps we feel we have very good reason to be angry. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4 verse 26 that in our anger not to sin. We can be angry and justified in our anger, especially when it's towards something that is blatantly evil. But we also need to be careful that it does not lead us into sin. What can we do with the anger that we feel? I simply suggest we give it to Jesus. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let Jesus be angry on our behalf because his anger can be trusted. Let Christ's heart for you wash you in his compassion and trust him with that anger that you have given him. Because we know that if we keep holding on to anger, it has a way of turning against us. So bring that anger to the Lord, our perfect spotless savior, the one who endured on our behalf the sin of the world who actually became sin for us. Jesus, who took that punishment upon himself as a sacrifice for all. We can trust Jesus with everything. And he never gets his judgments wrong. He is a perfect, fully human, fully God. No, it is not wrong to it, be angry. But it is what we do with that anger that is really important. Jesus always judges in perfect love. Let us remember this when our anger is aroused towards whatever comes against us or any type of injustice or evil in the world, that we bring it to him. It may be not the best time to ask just what would Jesus do, but ask what would Jesus have me do? When we're angry, we bring that anger to Jesus. Let's pray together.